Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So it's good to be with you all this afternoon. I'm going to pray again, and we're going to jump right in. So, Father, I just thank you for your spirit that is here in this place. I thank you that you are a good and loving Father, and I thank you, Lord, for filling us with wisdom and revelation, understanding of the hope that we have in Jesus today. Lord, we have tasted and we've seen that you are good, and I pray right now in this time that our mind and our will and our emotions and all that we are would become focused on the hope we have in Christ. Lord, make make us sharp for the gospel. Make that we would be ready to, to declare the hope that we have in Jesus, that we would know it at the deepest core of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to sh- be sharing today about hope. And that's why I'm praying about hope. And some of you already experience hope, so I'm just going to share with you about what even connected with your heart in the middle of the service. And so when we worship, often we get caught up in this place. We're actually tasting like the hope of heaven. And we, and we, we're like, wow, why do I feel so good? Why do I feel so secure? Why do I feel so at peace? And it's because of the hope of Jesus that invaded your, that invaded your mind and your soul and, and you, don't even, you don't even know it sometimes, right? You just feel a certain way. And it's because of the hope that we have in him. Because you know it's going to be okay. Your life's going to be okay. You're eternally secure in Christ. And even the worries and the cares and the fears of this world, they grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. So some of you felt that today. And so it's easy for me. I can just talk about what you already felt. <laughs> That's going to be great. So my goal today is that you would be captured by this hope that we have in Christ. Totally captured by it. You know, there's a scripture it's in Zechariah 9. talks about being prisoners of hope. I love that phrasing. I love that terminology, prisoners of hope. I pray today you'd be prisoners of the hope that we have in Jesus. Real hope, substantial hope, hope that has substance, hope that, hope that is it rooted in truth. That's a big difference from the hope that we see in the world. How many of you know there's a lot of people that are hopeful for things, and that's not real hope? And so we're going to talk today about what real hope is and what the Bible says about hope. Man, we're prisoners of hope, you and I. We're just caught in it, and we can't get out of it. Um, so I want to start with a little story about my girls, because I love to share about my girls, because they're so darn cute, and they say things that are profound. Um, so I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and, a, and an almost two-year-old. And my two older girls, we've been teaching them about, um, we've taken them through the Bible. And recently, they've gotten really into the book of Revelation. Thanks to my wife, who's really good at, you know, stimulating sort of excitement. And she's like, oh, the book of Revelation. And she's sharing with them, there's a woman in it. And there's, you know, all these, like, living creatures and, like, all these crazy things and a beast. And they're like, whoa, tell me more. Tell me more. And so we've been reading through it, and we got to a point in Revelation where they were like, tell us about the woman, the woman. Like, we want to know about the woman. I'm like, the harlot Babylon? You want to know about her? Like, I don't think you know. Like, this, we're not talking about Deborah. We're not talking about, like, you know, Mary, these great women of faith. We're talking about the other side of the aisle. Um, and they're like, no, share us with that. So I, so I said, okay, well, the book, the little 
children's book we're going through doesn't have Revelation 17 in the children's book about the harlot Babylon. Can you believe it? These people don't believe the word of God. So I said, you know, in my house, we're going to read Revelation 17. So you get it. And so we read it, and you probably might not know, you might not know necessarily what's in it, but Revelation 17, it's pretty graphic. You've got, like, the mother of all prostitutes, the harlot. Like, and I'm trying to, like, explain it in a way that's a little more low-key. Um, and I'm sharing with them, you know, she's riding on a beast, and he's got all these horns. And, and it's funny, their reactions. Their reactions were so pure and childlike, but very much similar to how you and I react in the simplest form. So Lilu's reaction, my five-year-old, was she was a bit terrified. Like her eyes got as big as saucers, and she was like, tell me more about this beast. Like, is he alive? Like, is he on the earth now? Like, what's up with this? And I'm trying to explain it's a metaphor, but no, it's a, really, it's a real person. It's the Antichrist, and here are some things he's going to do. And she's like, well, where is he? Is he in America? Like, and so, well... Don't worry, he's probably going to be in the Middle East, but he is real, and, and he is coming at some juncture. And, and so I saw on her, there was like a spirit of fear when I was sharing the dialogue. And, and I had to remind her, so, so you know, the harlot, this is where the story's going, the harlot is going to get trampled and thrown out, and it's even worse for the beast. Like, when Jesus comes on the scene, these characters are going to be in big trouble with him because they're operating in unrighteousness. And so trying to train her to not agree with the spirit of fear and to know that the things that are coming, God has told us so we can have hope and peace. And so with Fern, it was just the diff- it, was, it was totally opposite. Fern, she's hearing it, and she's like, I don't believe that. Like, really? Like, there's going to be this man of lawlessness, and he's going to do all these things? That sounds too whimsical. That's, that doesn't sound like the real world that I've experienced at seven years old. I said, well, maybe you don't understand the world. And anyway, I tried to reason with her, but she was operating with a spirit of doubt. So these are the two things I believe we, we, we can wrestle with when we're looking forward. We're trying to understand what's the hope that we have in Jesus. What does the Bible say is going to happen that, that's supposed to be our anchor of hope? And when we read those things, we can come with fear, we can come with doubt, and both of them dilute the word of God. And both of them distract us from the hope that we're supposed to have in Christ that's actually rooted in his word. You can't have hope in Jesus if you don't know the story, if you don't know what God has promised and why he's doing what he's doing. It's in the church, we have such narrow hope sometimes based on such minimal promises when all the promises are right here. We just have to take the time to understand them, to seek them, to seek him and be rooted in the hope of heaven. So what do I mean by hope? Like what, when I, you know, that word, you know, there's, it's used pretty loosely, right, in our culture. Um, hope, as I'm defining it today, is it's always connected with what God, what God will do in the future, I'm talking about what God will do in the future. So the definition of hope is confidence in God's promises related to the future. So you might have a measure of faith, faith in what God's going to do now, but your hope is what God's going to do in the future. And it's it's not a wishful thinking, right? That's how we use it in kind of modern vocabulary. Like, I hope that I will win the Life Center Fantasy Football um, Challenge this year. I was so close last year. Jamal barely beat me, and I hope this year that I'll beat all you suckers that are on the team and that I'll win. But you see, that, that is just wishful hoping. Like, there's no certainty. There's no confidence. 
Um, Billy's better than me at fantasy football anyway. I'm not confident in my ability to win. But you get what I'm saying. Like, hope is a certainty. 100%. This is going to happen, and I know it. I know that I know Jesus will return and do all the things that he promised he will do. What is your level of certainty? What is your understanding about the return of Christ? You may be really in tune with his death and resurrection, and some of you might not be, but even you might understand that he came to the earth, that he died, he, that he, he shed his blood, we're singing about it today, for our sins, and he was raised from the dead so that we may have new life, so that we may be free. We're talking about it this morning, we're singing it, the freedom we have in Christ. But part of that freedom is gonna come at a future time, and that is what our hope is in. Our faith is in what he has done, and but our hope is in what he will do. Does that make sense? So there's a whole narrative here that sometimes we just stop. We get a little caught up in just, well, we're saved and we're going to heaven and this is fantastic, but there's so much more. Like, that's not enough. God gives us an understanding of what is to come and it's made to anchor our soul. And it's so helpful for you and I if we're gonna walk in the ways of God, if we're gonna partner with him in bringing forth the redemption of the planet that he has planned and that will happen. So our participation is wonderful if we, if we decide to participate, but he will do it whether we participate or we do not. But I'd rather do the former. I'd rather be a part of his plan. I'd rather know it and get to pray it and get to live it. So just real quick, I want you to do a hope test, all right? This is a little hope test. So I would propose to you the thing that you place your hope in the most is probably the thing that you think about every morning when you get up and every night when you go to bed. What is on your mind? What are you thinking about? What's bouncing around your head? That's probably where your hope is. And if you're thinking, man, I'm not thinking of anything hopeful or anything consequential. Well, probably there's fear or there's doubt that's coming and disrupting the reality of the hope of God that you and I are supposed to swim in. We're supposed to be thinking about it. It's supposed to anchor our soul. But there's fear and there's doubt that have come in, and they're trying to jam our senses. They're trying to jam our thinking. And it's just a big distraction, honestly. But I pray today that all that, all that doubt, all that fear would be run out by the word of God, by the spirit of God that's crying out in us, declaring there's a better thing coming. The earth will be restored. Jesus will have his way, and he will rule over not only the church, but all the nations of the world. And he will restore connection, intimacy, everything that was lost, he will restore it. That's the hope I want to wake up with. That's the hope I want to go to bed with. I pray you'd be haunted by his hope today. It would mess with you. It would consume you. And I'm praying it for myself too. So I believe we have a crisis of hope in the church. And you, you, you see it, it's pretty easy to see. Um, most Christians have a hope which is quite limited. Um, it's very often short term. It's, it's focused on like really the things that are right in front of us. Um, even the book of Hebrews says they were living for a world not their own. They were living beyond their time. Often here we're just living for our time. Like we're just living for the time that we have on this planet. And our and a lot of hope that I see in Christians is just for God to do something he's already done. 
So we've seen it and we love it. And we're like, God, do that thing again. That was great. Like, do that again. And we have passion for that. But that is such low-level hope, you guys. It's such low-level hope. We, our hope cannot be just anchored in some great experience we had in God and hope he does it again. Our hope is, in, is eternal, and it's in his fulfillment of everything Jesus promised. And I'm going to get today in what that is. You know, COVID exposed the hope crisis, I believe, in the church. Because it showed us that we're just one hard trial away from just being, feeling totally chaotic and being unclear and unsettled. One, I mean, COVID is nothing compared to what the book of Revelation says we may be facing. Nothing. Talk to my kids about it. They'll tell you. It's, a, it's nothing. I mean, it's something, you know, for us, but it's nothing in comparison to what we will face. And so if you were challenged and you were able to, like, get your hope reset on him during COVID, praise God. Because that's, a, that's the grace of God to set our hope on him so that we won't be shaken in times of testing. You know, hope is very, is not just positive thinking. It's actually built on truth about what God will do. Just trying to think positively about your life and about that. I mean, there's, there's some benefits to that for sure, but that's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian hope. Thinking positive, like anybody can do that. But I want to think about the things of God and I want to be meditating on those so that I'm participating in his plans for the earth. It's very different. And I'd propose to you today as well that if we're going to understand hope, we have to have our mindset on the word of God. This book is an invitation to hope. But if we're not opening and we're not engaged with it, good luck. Like, honestly, good luck getting hope in you. The hope I'm talking about that just, that captures you, that imprisons you, it can only be found in fellowship with him and in the reading of his word. Those things are essential. And so if you take anything from today, know that hope's accessible to you through the spirit of God in you, but the word is what is going to stir that thing up and make it bounce around your brain and make it consume your thoughts. That's what's gonna do it. You know, I think we become, even in the church, very interested in kind of understanding humanity, right? We wanna understand the way our humanness. And there's a part of that that's certainly not bad, but there's a hyper-focus on that in the culture. I mean, you know that the culture is going to change? Like, how fast does the culture change, even in America? Like, it, it's going to change, like, next year, right? <laughs> the culture. It, it just shifts, and it, and it morphs. And we spend so much time trying to be relevant and understand things. But how much time do we spend understanding the redemptive future of humanity as God has laid it out? I'd rather understand where things are going than just understanding every intricacy of how humanity is messed up in the present realm. I think if I understand where it's going and I get captured by it, I'm going to be a lot better evangelist. I'm going to be a lot more salt and light in my workplace when I'm coming in caught up in the hope of heaven versus just like, you know what? I can understand humanity's pitfalls. Praise God. So can all the psychologists that are in the country. Like, that's nothing. But what something is understanding where God's taking things and how to speak that forth and how to live in that hope that shifts the thing, everything around you. You know, Friday night, we were here, and we were engaged in worship, and there were people here going through very hard things. I could feel it in the room, but when they worshiped, and when they pushed through, and when they choose to engage with the hope of heaven, the atmosphere in this room shifted completely, and I believe it was those people. I mean, the worship team was amazing, but there, was peop there were people that were worshiping in such a way. They were warring for the hope of heaven, and it shifts things. It doesn't just happen in a church. It happens in an office. 
Like, it happens in a subway. It happens where you go when you're engaged in what Jesus is doing in the hope of heaven. It changes things, and it's powerful. It's not the study of humanity. It's the understanding of his redemptive plan and agreement and yielding to it. I want to read uh, from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, starting at, I'm going to start at verse 13. And this is the verse that really messed me up um, and said, I got to talk about hope because this verse Something about it drew me in. Um, Titus 2, starting at verse 13, it says, While we wait for the blessed hope. And so there's a context here of waiting, but the, just the terminology, the blessed hope. The ble- I was like, Lord, you call it the blessed hope? What, what is this blessed hope? And I begin to realize everywhere you study in the Bible, wherever there's any talk about hope, It's always in the context of what is to come, the end times, the return of Christ, the redemption of all things. That is the only source of hope that you'll find in the scriptures. It's always connected to this word. And it says, we are waiting for the blessed hope. And what is that hope? And here it is. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate hope. This, if you get this hope right, you'll live right. If you get this hope wrong, you will engage with all sort of lower level hopes that are just, they're going to lead you into a, a life of chaos and disappointment. But if your hope is in the appearing of Christ and you're looking, you're peering ahead to that reality, you will stand on a firm foundation. You will live a life that people see and, and recognize the power of God and the beauty of God and recognize you're living for an age beyond your own. It's such a key importance that we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and glory of our great God, Jesus Christ, who did what? Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So the blessed hope is the appearance of Christ, but it also is the, the redemption from all wickedness, the purification of his people. So right now, you and I, we have been made pure. If you've received Jesus, you've been made pure by the blood of Jesus. But there is a future glory, a future purification that you're going to experience in full relationship with God that you are not experiencing right now. So the work of the cross is finished, but it, there is way more for us to do. There's way more for us to be involved in. There's an urgency that, that we have, but we have to wait for the blessing hope. There's a waiting and we hate that. I hate that. I don't want to wait. I just want everything Jesus paid for now. But there's things that you have to wait for. And let me tell you, it's like a fine wine. It'll be good. It gets better with time. There's a reason. There's a reason God said to wait. He's a good and loving father. He's not making us wait so, and we're going to miss out. There's a reason for the waiting. So I want to talk a bit more about what is this blessed hope? What, what are the contents of this hope we have in Jesus? Ephesians 1, starting at verse 19, and, or starting at verse uh, 9, rather. And just paraphrasing it, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And verse 10 declares what his will is. Here's where things are going. To be, foot, to, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity, here's what he's going to do to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen, being predestined according to the plan of him 
who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is really good news. It's really good news that heaven and earth are going to come together in unity under Christ. That's where things are going. If you go on the street and you tell somebody, guess what? Heaven and earth are coming together in the unity of Jesus. What do you think they're going to say to you? You're crazy. What are you talking about? But in fact, if we're going to share the gospel with people, we're going to tell them not only how you can be saved by the blood of Jesus, and you can have communion with him, and you can live a whole life, but also this is what is happening. This is what is before us. Jesus is uniting heaven and earth, and he's going to lord over all of it. Now, the first part people are used to, and they might be like, oh, okay, I've heard that before. The second part, they're like, what? That's a little wonky. Don't doubt. God's word is true. And in fact, it says he will work everything out in conformity with his purpose and will. Everything. God is faithful to work everything out that he said in his book. Everything. I'm going to say it again. God is faithful to complete everything that he has said in his word. If you believe that, every morning you will get messed up by the hope in this word. If you believe that, you will speak things that appear crazy, you might think, to the people you're speaking to, but it will resonate in their heart because it's the plan of God for all humanity. And they might think you're crazy at first, but when the spirit of God gets a hold of them, they'll say, my gosh, this is the hope I've been longing for. See, we've been preaching to people and they've been getting saved, but they don't understand the hope of heaven. And so their roots don't grow down deep enough. And so COVID comes and things come and they get thrown off because they thought it was just about being saved and holding on until Jesus comes back and maybe loving people a little bit here or there for Jesus. It's so much more than that. <laughs> this narrative is so much more beautiful and dynamic than get saved and hold on and share with a few people on your way out before you leave the earth. The earth and heaven are coming together. So Mike Bickle has a great teaching on this. And what he says, and I agree with him, the centerpiece of God's eternal purpose is for Jesus to come back and establish his kingdom over all the earth. That's the centerpiece. That's, that's, we need to know that. That's the Bible 101. Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom and rule over all the earth. He's bringing together heaven and earth. And it's happening in your neighborhood. <laughs> the supernatural realm and the physical realm are coming together. And I'm not a crazy person. That's what the Bible says. This is reality. Now, why is he doing it? Because there's some out there, they really understand this reality. But I don't know if they get the why, to be honest. Why? Would God want to bring together heaven and earth? Why is he going through all this trouble? Why are we going through all this waiting for Jesus to come back and finish what he started? Because he wants to restore the Garden of Eden here on the earth. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Read Revelation, last two chapters, 21 22. Read those books, front end, back end of the, script of the whole Bible, and you get... Oh my gosh, this God is after relationship. Oh my gosh. He walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. They sinned, they fell, and God said, I'm getting it all back. I'm getting everything. I'm getting you and you and you and you. I'm getting Adam and Eve. I'm getting their descendants back. 
and I'm gonna live in unity and fellowship with them all the days of my life. And I'm gonna do it actually in a city I build, the new Jerusalem, and they're gonna come in and my glory is gonna fill the city and it's gonna be like the Garden of Eden, but even better because I've restored all the brokenness and I've taken all the sin, all the tears, and I have made it new by the blood of Jesus and by his return and his dominion over all the earth and the kings of the earth. That's the bigger picture. Don't think that's too big, that you need that to be anchored in this life. That's not too far away. That's that all the great apostle Paul, all the disciples, they are looking to the hope I'm telling you about right now. They're looking ahead. They're not just thinking about salvation, getting people saved. They are, but they're looking to what God has promised and that is what kept them anchored. And we can't think that you and I can't understand this narrative or have our hope anchored there and think we can walk like they did or walk like Jesus did. We have to be anchored in hope. So I wanna go through kind of three areas of biblical hope um, that I see in the scriptures just to highlight a bit more what does hope look like? Um, what does it feel like? What, what should we expect when we talk about hope? The first thing the Bible says is, or that I'm going to talk about, rather, is hope is a living hope. Did you know that? Hope is living. That's pretty cool. Hope is living. I'll, I'll prove it to you. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. And it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. The plan of God is actively moving. and His kingdom is advancing in the earth. This hope is living. This hope is moving. This hope is advancing. This hope is our reality now. And so if you think you gotta wait to experience the hope of heaven until you get there, you're wrong. It's a living, it's an active hope. It's a beautiful thing. And it says... And, and this, is, this is so good. Verse four, and unto an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, for me. What God has given us through Jesus can never spoil or fade. I hate spoiling and fading things. I hate wasting money. I hate doing things like, I hate staining a t-shirt because I have to buy a t-shirt and I don't like buying t-shirts. Like, I can't stand those things, but you can't mess with the things God's kept for you in heaven. You can't. Like, it's secure in him. That is a beautiful, important reality for us to live in right now. You kind of, you feel it sometimes in worship, don't you? Like, wow, I just love Jesus and I just repent of all my nonsense. And I can't mess this up because God, he, his strong arm has rescued me. And he's strong enough to rescue me in this world and he's strong enough to keep me in the age to come. And so that confidence, it messes us up. And we need more of that reality in our life. And when you touch that, when you touch that living hope, write it down. Don't, don't, don't let your mind go to whatever else, to your Instagram, your Facebook feed, whatever feed. Like, set your gaze on this hope. What he speaks to you about the, even the age to come, the things that he's planning for you and for I, that stuff is precious. It's golden. 
I mean, heaven's golden and precious. My kids know all about it. We've been reading the streets of gold. But how more precious is it? We're going to live there with him. That's precious. So biblical hope is one, a living hope. Biblical hope is two, a purifying hope. His hope purifies. Isn't that interesting? It purifies this is First John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. It says, Dear friends, we are now children of God, and, we, and what we will be has not yet been made known. See, there's this mystery about, like, that's why it's kind of fun to talk about it, because there is a mysterious component. We're talking about the future. What we will be has not yet been known, but we know this. When Christ appears, once again, our hope is in his appearance, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. When we're looking, when we're gazing ahead, we all of a sudden find that the temptations and the things around us are much easier to overcome. Much easier. Because we know where things are going. We know the beauty of God. We know we're going to be with him in the heavenly realms and the earthly realm. And so you make different decisions in the present when you know what's happening in the future. Very different. <laughs> People are yelling at me on the front. You make different decisions. You make different decisions in the present when you are gazing at what's ahead of you in the future. When we see Jesus rightly, when we see not only him rightly, but what he's doing and where we'll be with him one day, it causes us to not want to sin. <laughs> it causes us to not want to do destructive things. And so I would, I look at it this way. When I tell people that are looking to get married or even that are just dating or hoping to date, like just wanting marriage, I say, if you want to, the best thing I know to remain pure for your husband, for your wife, is to have a vision for your marriage is to be seeing yourself in that marriage and that woman or that man that you are going to love and you're going to give yourself wholly to. And you see that, you are so more likely to, to thwart temptation when it comes because you want nothing to do with it because you have a vision. You know where you're going. You know that you're called to be married and you're preparing yourself for that. So we are waiting and preparing for the new heaven, the new earth, to engage with the living God face-to-face -face in his kingdom and changes our decisions. So number one, we have a living hope. Number two, we have a purifying hope. And number three, we have hope as the anchor for our souls. Did you know hope is an anchor? And where you plant that anchor is really important. Where you plant your hope, you better put your hope on something that is not gonna move. Because if you put your hope on something temporal, if you put your hope on a person, if you put your hope on a relationship, on a job, on, on a ministry, on a church, if you put your hope in that, you are one challenging situation away from losing your hope. You cannot afford, you can ill afford to lose your hope in this life. God has beautiful things for us to do. We have to be anchored in a hope that's far beyond this world. We have to be anchored in what Christ will do. And when we are, we will walk as we're supposed to walk. And we will fulfill the call of God in our life. But I'm, a, I'm afraid we have anchored ourselves on short-term things that move. And when they move, it freaks you out. 
if that's where your hope is, right? You ever had your hope anchored on a relationship and the person dumped you? Or the... Boy, that's a recipe for disaster. You ever had your hope anchored on a job and then they dumped you or your job performance was all of a sudden not so hot? You ever had your hope anchored on your grades at school and then you didn't perform well? Or try the flip side. You have your hope anchored in something and then you just keep doing well at it and you get more entrenched, more entrenched. And you wonder why you're not satisfied in the core of your being. Like, well, I'm doing well. Everybody loves me, but I have no satisfaction in my heart because you're not living for God. Your hope is based on something that's bound to fall apart. It's just a matter of time. So even your success, my gosh, can be a trap, can be a downfall. And then God pulls it out, and you're like, why did he pull it out? God, why did you take it from me? Because you had hope on that thing, and you got to get rid of it because your hope's got to be set on me. And then you're going to burn for me. You're going to live for me. You're going to love me. And then you'll come alive. This is not life. These careers, these relationships that we put up, that's not living. It's so temporal. God doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. These people here don't want that for you. I'm getting Pentecostal up here. Going to read a scripture, Hebrews 6 19. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. See, the hope is in the future intimacy that we're going to, behind the curtain. That's the Holy of Holies. That's the Garden of Eden. That's us and God in full communion, relationship with Him. That's where our hope is. And if it's anywhere else, you're in trouble. If it's anywhere else, you're building on sand. So when I married Vanessa, or when I was starting pursuing her in marriage, um, I had, we saw God just do crazy things. I shared on the missions trip about this. We saw God just do amazing things when we were ministering to these high school kids. And then she was going to come move near me. She was living up here in this area, and I was living in Virginia. And I was like, oh, man, when she comes into my town, this woman's fire. When she comes into my town, ministry is going to explode. Like, it's going to be amazing. And, like, I, had, I was so hopeful. I had this hope and expectation. Well, revival's coming to southwest Virginia because Vanessa's coming. <laughs> and we're dynamite. And, uh, and so I was really thinking this is what's going to happen. And, uh, and it was unhealthy to be frank, and, and she shows up, and I'm all ready for revival, but I'm not ready for, like, empathy and love and support, and it was a terrible situation, and she was falling apart and crying herself to sleep every night, and I'm like, I'm killing this fiery woman slowly, but surely the fire is burning out, and it's because I have brought her to this town, and she hates it, and she hates everything about it, and she hates me, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being real. Like, and so, I mean, everything fell apart. And I was just like, God, like, I thought, you know, because I saw him move that way, I thought you were going to do it again. And, and that was where my hope and that was where my focus was. And then when he did it this way, it's like, are you still going to pursue this woman? Are you still going to show up? Are you going to take care of her when she's not fiery, when she hates your guts? Like, are you going to love her and stand with her? And, and so... Like, when you all have faced those moments, right, when something you put your hope in and it blows up in front of you, right? I thought she was going to blow up my ministry, and she did. She blew up my ministry in the opposite way. It, it left. It disappeared. Poof. Um, 
But when that happens, but when that happens, and I'm sure it's happened to you, if it hasn't, it might, know that don't forget what he's called you to do. Like don't, don't let that thing kind of push you away from the thing you put your hope in. Instead, put your hope in God so that you can actually love and cherish the things God's given you, the people, the dreams. And so when your hope is in him, it actually allows, I would say this even a prophetic community like this, it allows the, the prophetic to thrive so much better because you're not going to put hope in that. Like the prophetic will help encourage you and it will give you strength. But your hope, you're anchored way beyond a prophetic word about your career. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's amazing and we need that. And that has carried me. But my hope is not in the fulfillment of that word. It's an encouragement, not an anchor. And so we need, we need to know that, especially in a prophetic community. And you need to know that for relationships too. I'm telling you, so many of you, you know, you will be married and you will see these things come to pass, but your hope is not in that. Like it really isn't. And when your hope is in the Lord, you're so much better positioned um, for, for that relationship that God has for you. It's <laughs> a lot of amening up here. Um, I want to read this and we're going to, I'm going to close here shortly. I want to read this Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 in verse 13. And this is where I want us to go as a church. I want us to live. I want to live this way. I want to, I'm not there yet. I want to live like this. You know, we were at, we will go, we were at the, at the ministry um, down in Jackson. And I saw people that were so, their hope was fully in God. They were giving themselves fully to, to a heart, in a hard situation and to very challenging, you know, children and, and people that they were giving themselves fully. And I could feel on, the, on the, the area that they had, the base, I could feel the hope of heaven, even in the midst of an area, which is like a war zone, I mean, out there. It, it's really, it's a hard area, but you could feel God's hope on the premise of everything they planted there because they were engaged with his heart and they were willing to pour their lives out. And I was so provoked. Um, and so I say all that to read Hebrews 11, um, starting at verse 13. All these people, this is the, the Hall of Fame of Faith, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So it's listing all these people that have these great exploits of faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. You can talk about a hope that's anchored beyond this world. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He has prepared a city for them, and that is their focus. I want that to be my gaze. I want that to be all of our gazes. We're looking not at New York City. We're looking at the heavenly city. And so we're able to impact this city. And we're able to engage with people that would wear us down if not for the hope of heaven. And yes, I'm talking about your boss. Yes. <laughs> not all of you. Not my boss. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> Worship team, could you guys could you guys come on up? Um, you know, I'm really convinced. 
this is another, this, this is a thing that I have a problem with. I'm really convinced that we are so, we're starting to understand in the church a lot more about kingdom principles, but I don't think we understand kingdom, the kingdom plan. Does that make sense? So we understand that we have power and authority. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us, that we can walk in wholeness and freedom. But what is the plan of God for the earth, and how do we participate in that plan? And so today, I'm not getting into every detail of that, but I want to open that conversation up between you and the Lord. What are the things God has prepared for you here in this place? What is he doing in the earth? Not just what what did he do in your soul. What's he doing in the earth, and how does that align with the gifts and the callings that you've received? Does that make sense to you? So I want to just end on a few practical points because I think practicality is really important. Ephesians 1, verse 13 through 14. To me, this reality is what keeps us grounded and engaging in in the hope of heaven. This is what we need to continue and to fulfill the things God has put on our lives. Ephesians 1 verse 13, it says, and so you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until what? The redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the down payment for the kingdom of God advancing on the earth has already been placed, and it is the spirit of God in you and in me. It's the first fruits of the kingdom's full advance on the earth. And you and I are carrying Christ in us, the hope of glory. The spirit of God in us is, and it's so offensive to the world, and that's why you gotta be careful because the world gets so annoyed with you because the spirit of God in you is a declaration of his kingdom advancing and eventually taking over the earth. (laughs) Now, we're not taking over the earth, Jesus is, but his spirit of God in us declares his kingdom come, and demons are terrified of the spirit of God, (laughs) and the spirit of God's walking around the earth and you and in me. The Holy Spirit lives in those that believe and receive Jesus. And so it makes us very powerful, but it also makes us, um, it makes a signpost of hope to a world that is filled with hopelessness. That's a big responsibility. That's a big calling. You're a signpost of hope. So be captivated by the hope of Jesus because you have been given the assignment of declaring his hope to the nations. And even your very presence in this city with the spirit of God living in you challenges darkness. They're terrified of you. But are we captivated by that hope? Are we locked in? Are we anchored to the hope of Christ? Everybody, if you could stand for me, please. So I want to encourage you in the room today to seek more of his spirit. 
seek more of his spirit. It's the spirit of God in us that fuels that hope, that reminds us that cries, Abba, Father, and then empowers and equips us to be the hope that we're, you can't be, you can't be the hope to the world. You gotta have the spirit of God overwhelming you, <laughs> bubbling up out of you as we were praying earlier. You gotta have it. We gotta get a little more desperate, a little more urgent in our prayers because the spirit of God is yearning for you and I to exude hope to the nations. Romans 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may what? Overflow with hope. By what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll read that one again. Pray this over your kids. Pray this over your friends. Pray this over one another in this room. That the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we're asking today that we would overflow with hope. Father, we're asking today for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and stir in us. God, I pray every person in this room and on YouTube, Lord, we, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit would stir in them. The hope of Christ would dominate their very being, that the smile on their face would declare your coming, would declare your redemption for the earth. Lord, they'd be signposts of hope. Lord, I pray that you would, you would cause us to be so confident, so rooted in you, Lord, that we would go to the fringes of society, Lord, that we would go to the hard and dark places of this city, carrying a message of hope. And they would say, you're crazy. And we would say, this is what God is doing. And they would say, maybe you're right. Maybe that is what I'm made for. Maybe that is where the earth is going because the spirit of God is on you and the hope of heaven, I feel it. God, I pray that we would carry you into each and every dark place in this city. And I feel like what Jules said earlier, there are, he's gonna bubble up out of you. This hope, you can't contain it. Once you get it in your bones, once you get it in your mind, once you realize he's gonna redeem the whole earth, you can't stop smiling. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the joy and the peace connected to the hope that we have in heaven. It's going to drive and anchor our very souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to worship. And I want to invite people, even now, if you want, come up to the front. We're going to worship. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to wash you in the hope of the scriptures. We're going to wash you in that hope. Because we're going to take the word. And we're, man, I wish you had the word in a bucket. We just douse it on you. Um, we're gonna wash you in the hope of the scriptures. So our prayer team, when they're up here, they're just gonna be praying the scriptures over you, washing you in hope, anchoring you in truth, because you are placed in this city for such a time as this. You are not here on, on some sort of, this is not just a vacation. This is not just a stepping, or a random occurrence. You have been placed in the city for such a time as this, and you have the hope of heaven living in you. <laughs> Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.